it's Monday night. What are we looking at this November? Are we looking at a red wave or more of the same? The Urban Conservative Podcast starts right about now. There comes a time we all have to consider what to do with our remains when we pass away. From the company that brought you the Gender Reassignment Home Kit comes body bag biodegradable bags. That's right. We take your body, put it in our biodegradable bags, and plant you as a tree so people can eat your nuts forever. Brought to you by Regenerex, makers of Libtrol and other fine products. If you love to drink Four loco, but Braveheart will always be your favorite movie of all time, you're going to love the Urban Conservative. Hey, buddy. You enjoy pickup trucks and listening to Coolio? Well, then you're going to love the Urban Conservative. First of all, how you gonna tell me we not in a pandemonium? Not only are we in a pandemonium, but we in a regression too. We are in a regression. Uh, get out of here. I don't know why I'm sitting in this chair. It's really hot. Having a suit, it's like 99 degrees in DC. I, I, who's on this phone? Who am I talking to? Why did DC, who gave me the phone? Jill, who gave me the phone? Hey, whose dog is this? I don't even know whose dog this is, hello? If you're listening to me on the phone, I don't know whose dog this is. You're listening to the Urban Conservative? Come on, man. Attention, maggot. Do you enjoy the smell of freshly ejected 5.56 millimeter ammunition? And for breakfast, you enjoy scrambled eggs with no salt, no pepper. And you enjoy grits, no salt, no pepper, no butter. Then you are going to love the Urban Conservative. Who? Oh. What up? Mickey Monday midnight man, what up, bro? What's going on, sir? Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned into the Urban Conservative Podcast. I'm Raheem Architect Soto. That's my twin brother, Dual Ali. You're watching on Facebook. Inst- uh, what are we on? YouTube. We're on Twitter. In- we we stream. We, we have it on Facebook, right? YouTube. We we doing all of that. Yeah, tune buddy. in. Tune in. Tune in. Hit the share button for us. The website is tuconservative.com. Get yourself a membership. Maybe just maybe you can get yourself a GOP looks like me hat. Of Aren't we giving we'll one be... of those away tonight? Isn't that yeah, we, we are. We're going to talk about that at the at the commercial break. We're going to yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stick so around. You might stick around for that. But again, we appreciate everybody for tuning in. Take a few <laughs> moments. Hit the share button. This is going to be a very, very interesting evening. Um, we got a good guest to the show on with us. Yeah. We had a crazy last couple of days here in New York. Yeah, but I got to yeah, start yeah. the show off before you do your, uh, because I know we got some ads and some things we got to share with folks. Plenty of events going on. All right. So real hold quick, on. before you do yeah. it, before you do okay. it, I got I got to shout out some folks, right? Okay, shout I have out. to shout out all of our committee people across the country, all of our Republican mm. committee people. Shouts out to you guys, big ups okay. to you guys. Thank you to all of our committee people. Um, and and the reason I'm doing that, bro, is because right. the committees are like the the foundations of the party and the committee people who go out and walk those petitions and and walk for those candidates and knock those mm. doors and come to the meetings and put up their money and 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 you know be part of the team we have to salute those folks uh you know it's sometimes a thankless job being on a committee and being involved sometimes it can feel thankless but we here at the urban conservative we want to thank you guys yes and, uh, yeah that, that's all that's it that's all i wanted to I, start with no, now, no, no. Now, i think that's a fair thing to start with that's it we got elections we got a, we got local elections right. happening right let's talk tomorrow about tomorrow is a big day there are municipal elections all across north carolina 
One of the areas you need to keep an eye on is up there in Greensboro. I was actually on the phone with Katie tonight. She's actually out doing her thing, getting signs up, getting ready for tomorrow's election day rush up there in Greensboro. Shouts out to Katie Rasabi, who is running for Greensboro City Council at large. You all know her because you've seen her on the Urban Conservative. You've seen the ads running here on the Urban Conservatives. And if you live up in the Greensboro area, you got to get out, get get out there tomorrow and support Katie Rasabi. There's also a writing for campaign for mayor up in Greensboro. They just got hit, right? Check this out. 30% property tax increase. Just got nice. hit with that today. Um, they are short over 100 officers for their police department. And you've got a radical leftist uh, grip on Greensboro, the, the homeless population um, and all the things that are going on there. It is time for common sense in Greensboro. And you can start by putting K. Rosabi on your city council. So Greensboro, snap out of it. It's time for common sense. Get out, support Katie tomorrow. And also, um, while we're talking about Katie and municipals, if you live in the Charlotte area, Charlotte got an entire slate of Republican candidates that are running for municipal government. And it mm -hmm. makes no sense, bro. We've talked about this. Um, and, and part of the reason why um, in talking with the guests that we've got on tonight, these elections are so crucial. It's so important, especially, especially if you live in urban areas, if you live in the cities, if you're from New York City, if you live in the five boroughs, if you live anywhere in North Carolina, Charlotte, Raleigh, the people you are putting in place are chronically responsible for the condition of your place. Right. Especially at a local level, especially, most especially at a local level. So Greensboro, Charlotte, tomorrow, get out. Um, Raleigh, which are municipal primaries and all that, get out tomorrow. Show them that you care and that you're paying attention to vote in Greensboro tomorrow. That's what I, I had to plug, Katie. She's well, out there. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. doubt. And shouts out to Katie and her whole team. They're doing amazing things out there in Greensboro. Make sure to get out and vote tomorrow and bring a friend. Make sure you're registered to vote. Make sure you keep an eye out for things. We all know how voter integrity is. If you see something that you don't think is right, say something. All right. Let's right. Do that. Now, now let's, let's move right along here. Um, Saturday, July 30th, right. Uh, shouts out to Christopher Wright and the whole, uh, conservative Republican Alliance of New York. Uh, Saturday, July 30th, we're in New York city. We're back in New York city at the metropolitan Republican club. Uh, shouts big. out to Vanessa Simon, New York State GOP really Secretary. Big. Yeah, we're going to be talking about saving <laughs> New York through grassroots. What have we done that we've seen worked around the state? What have mm -hmm. we done as Republicans that we've seen from a grassroots level around the country that's been working? How do we implement that in New York? Um, so we're going to have a good time doing that. Saturday, July 30th. Shouts out to Camille and Chris and the whole team over there at the New York CRA. Um, and all the ladies over at Gotham Rising. Um, and then just moving right along, man, because we busy. You know, the team is busy, man. Shouts out to our good brother, Eugene Sharpley, down in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania Black Conservative Voices, TUC Pennsylvania. Uh, for the city of Arnold, we have Firearm Safety and Responsible Gun Ownership, brought to you by U2A, uh, Victory Defense, PA Black Conservative Voices, and uh, State Representative Jill Cooper, shouts out to her, shouts out to our whole family over there. That's Sunday, August 7th, 2 through 4 p.m. If you have any questions at all, you can call the number you see on your screen, 878-847-8778, or you could just send us a DM and we'll hook you up, get in the comment section. I'm pretty sure Brother Sharpley's in there. If you're in the city of Arnold or any of the surrounding areas, 
want to come out and learn more about firearm safety and responsible gun ownership, you want to come out to Lazarus Tunes Cafe, 1821 Fifth Avenue, um, and that is from 2 to 4 p.m. And then last but not least, man, we out here in Southampton, Monday, August 1st. Look, look at this. And we, we back in the Hamptons. Shouts out to Peter Ganley and his whole team. Uh, we do yeah, a, a don't have him on the show. That was a yeah, fun yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. You, you didn't did see that show. Job. Go back yeah, to last week's show. That. Yeah, but his yeah, event yeah. is coming up Monday, August 1st at the beautiful Edgewater restaurant, Hampton Bays, New York. Mm-hmm. Please, please RSVP ASAP because the place is amazing. The food is amazing. We need to get Peter elected. Um, and you know that starts with the grassroots effort, like we're talking about supporting our candidates via fundraisers like this. So shout out to the whole Suffolk County, Southampton Town, GOP, all of our committee people, of course, our chairmen, our town leaders, our county leader, um, and our county teams. And that's that's what we got now, bro. All right, real quick though, yeah, before, before we jump on this, I want to yeah, make sure you know we gotta get we gotta I, I'm yeah, excited about I, this. I, show. I, just, I really do. want people to understand if you want to get the U2A movement in a city near you if you're in a metropolitan area and you want to get the urban conserv- uh, urban Second Amendment team out to your area, please reach out to us. That is very, very important. Um, but keep going, bro. I just wanted to uh, get yeah, right. yeah. So, right. So um, New York, we have a, a comptroller race. We have a gubernatorial race. We have a very, very important date coming in November. Now, here in Suffolk, we've seen a mm. red wave. We've seen... Uh, uh, Republicans come back into power here in the in the legislature, which Uh-oh. is an indicator, which is an indicator that it can be done, right? And some place like Suffolk that for the, over a decade, 15 years or something like that, 16 years, we've, we've had one party rule in Suffolk County and that's been broken. Mm. We have a slate of candidates this year that are overqualified, beyond qualified, all right? Mm-hmm. And one of the important positions, I think, if not... You know, I I think it goes governor, lieutenant, uh, uh, lieutenant governor, comptroller. You know, okay. It's, it's I, a, I'm, it's I was a, hoping that was a, the order. I was hoping order that was this. the order. Yeah, you, got order the, you got the guy, you got the vice guy, then you got that guy. Like he's like the third person. Wait, what is this going to so, cost? So right? when we, what we, 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 we need that, what are we doing here, guy? Right. right. Yeah. yeah. So first and foremost, right? We have to say, thank God. Lee came out of that situation. So if I was going to play the video, we're going to skip the video. Everyone's seen it at this point, but everybody knows what happened. But uh, this office is so important. And the, the gentleman that's coming back to the show for the third time, my good brother, who's coming to the show, ladies and gentlemen, once again, global finance expert, finance expert, been in the field of finance way too long, way longer than I could explain to y'all. Very, very educated brother. Our New York State Comptroller candidate. Welcome back to the Urban Conservative, brother Paul Rodriguez. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? We're well. Good to see you again, good brother. Can you hear me all right? Yes, sir. We got you loud and clear, brother. Good to see you. Outstanding, outstanding. It's great to be with you all. I always have a great time here. Um, Actually, just along those lines, what you were saying, I like to put into Mm -hmm. context. People think about controller. They, They have an inkling. It's a big office. Uh, it's one of the statewide offices, but they, but very few often tend to know what the controller does and, and who it is. Uh, so let me tell you, the controller has got the state controller has two principal uh, jobs. The first is to be the primary watchdog uh, over the taxpayer's money. So basically, any endeavor, entity, agency where state funds are being utilized, uh, the controller is supposed to be make sure that that money is being used efficiently. It's not being squandered. 
and that the controller is also responsible to, for rooting out any fraud, waste, corruption related to that. And that includes the state's uh, $220 billion budget. The second, uh, the second job is that the controller is the, the main person responsible for running the state's pension fund, is the sole trustee. And that's a $280 billion pension fund. Now, mind you, this is just the state of New York. I'm not even including New York City. Uh, if you include New York City, that's another, uh, I would say another $370 billion on top of that. But keep in mind, do the do the math. $220 billion in budget. That was B? That's a B? A B. B, B. Okay. But so one person, one individual at the state level can exert influence over about a half a trillion dollars of the state money. $220 billion uh, uh, budget and then a $280 billion pension fund. But of course, although that fluctuates. Uh, so, but yeah, most people don't really know who the controller is or what the controller does. Mm. Uh, and That's in many it. ways, the, my incumbent, the incumbent in that position perhaps is great for that because he keeps a very, very low profile. And I can talk about him later. But I wanted to just uh, put that into context and, and show why it's such an important office. But unfortunately, it's one of those offices that often do not get as much press. Uh, it's hard to get interest for because it's not one of the sexy offices. It's mm -hmm. numbers, it's figures. Uh, and often people don't, don't want to think about it. And then my opponent... Uh, by all intents and purposes, and by everyone's agreement, they say uh, uh, he's a very nice guy, very nice man. In fact, so much so that he's been completely oblivious to all of the corruption around him. Or worse yet, he knows about it and he just turns a blind eye. You know, he's happy to go after petty corruption here and there, $5,000 here, $10,000 here. Uh, I think recently he, he announced something for uh, over $100,000, which is one of the biggest things I think he's ever done. But when it really comes to standing up to those in power uh, and really hold them accountable, if he does it at all, he doesn't really do it when it counts. Uh, and, and that you can see throughout the 15 years he's been in office, which has coincided mm. with one of the worst waves of corruption at the state government level. So, so real quick, I, I, because uh, at least the perception here in North Carolina and I guess in a lot of places around the country where people don't really know New York state politics proper, right? Like they don't know what's really going on proper there. Um, do you think that what we're seeing in New York City as far as uh, Mayor Adams coming out and asking for help with all the illegal, like the illegal immigrant, like uh, it, is it that liberals have just done or or... Is it the do we chalk it up to liberals, the state of the, the financial condition of New York State? Because it doesn't sound like to me that things are going in the right direction hearing this. It just doesn't sound like it's going the right way. Well, it's very bad policies. I mean, New York was known for having very high taxes and a high cost of living mm -hmm. even before the pandemic. But things only only worsen after that. Now, one of the things that we could at least claim for the last 20, 25 years that New York City was one of the safest cities in the nation and New York State was a very safe state. But now we're seeing that fall by the wayside. So now we're in a situation where we have the highest taxes in the nation, inflation going through the roof, which if it's 9% or 10% on average across the country is about twice that or three times that in New York State and particularly New York City. We have uh, a state where the regulation and the red tape to start a business or to do anything is ridiculous. Uh, it's been considered, in fact, it's been ranked 
almost the worst state to do business in, uh, in a recent, uh, a, a recent ranking that was made by Chief Executive Magazine. They put uh, New York State at 49. So let's be happy. It's only 49. But guess what? It was number 50 was Illinois. Uh, number 50 was California. I was going to say it had to be California. Yeah, number 48 is Illinois. So think about it. The three states with the largest population centers in the country, California, New York, and Illinois, are the worst places that are considered uh, the, the places that are considered the worst for doing any kind of business or for investing money in. So as a result of that, people have been leaving and have been living in droves. If you look at the 2020 census numbers, they don't really tell you the whole story because as it is, the official numbers showed only a slight uh, increase, a very slight increase in population, even though over that time, uh, the budgets of both the state and the city of New York have ballooned. I mean, they've doubled and, that, and at least increased in real terms by at least 50 percent. But since the pandemic, people have just been leaving. And as you were mentioning, the liberals, the progressives, even they themselves, what we call the downstate progressives, the people in New York City who are supposed to be the most liberal and who are supposed to embrace these policies the most, they themselves have been leaving to places like Texas. Seems like half of them are going to Austin, Texas, to Florida, uh, the well, Southeast, the Midwest, places where either they have no state taxes or the taxes are lower. And it was interesting to see, for example, AOC, uh, down some few months back in in uh, Florida, having a good time, mm. mask. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. over here, we were having all these draconian uh, policies uh, in, in basically placed upon us, uh, and only and they've only been slightly relaxing. They're starting to rumble about putting them in place again. Mm. But yet, they go to these states, and mind you, they, a lot of them will tell you, "Oh, you know, we're we're infiltrating, we're infiltrating." Don't buy this whole infiltration thing. Yeah, they're infiltrating. Oh, we're going down to Florida and Texas because we want to turn it blue. Yeah, but of course, the fact that, hey, you know, you don't pay state taxes, eh, it's not too bad. The fact that you can go down there and have more living space for you and mm -hmm. your family, the fact that you have a That's better a quality of life, the fact that you have lower crime, the fact that you can actually start a business or invest, and you can buy a house uh, for less than $2 million dollars. You know, those things are just ancillary things. And, you know, they're taking one for the team. They're self-sacrificing. But right. frankly, here in New York, if we don't do something, we're really facing an inflection point. Mm -hmm. If we don't do something to entice the people who are here to stay, because the people who are here are the people really who want to stay. But uh -huh. even they are finding it increasingly difficult to justify in staying here. And now with the decline in public safety, uh, it, it's almost... Uh, suicidal for lack of a better term oftentimes it feels to stay here but if we don't do something to entice the people who are here to stay and to even attract some to come to the state we're seeing the whole state uh could potentially become detroit but on a larger scale wow right? uh -huh. on wow. a larger scale because uh we keep piling on debt we keep uh, you know we get to the point where we can't tax people anymore the people who have the means to leave have done so. And even those who don't are, are, are struggling are about it. Yeah, they, yeah. to move on. Uh, we have we have a budget that keeps inflating. And now mm. with, uh, with, with inflation so high and eventually interest rates on their way up, uh, it, it, you know, that burden is only going to get worse upon the citizens of New York. And the only way you can really find relief is going to have to be by cutting spending 
by streamlining government. You can't do it by taxes. But, but no, you know, tax. But but no, I mean, you know, because I have to make sure that, you know, the people who can't provide for themselves, who are totally physically capable of doing it, but just can't really, yeah, they, they need help, you know. I, 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 you know what, I, I kind of, I want to go back for a second, Paul, because I want to, for, for those who are seeing you for the first time, and, and oh, you know, shouts great. out to all of our viewers, I, I'm let's talk about qualifications for a second i mm -hmm. spoke on that in the beginning and just tell the folks right because i i don't think people understand that you know we don't send mechanics to do dental work right we don't send we don't we we put people in their lane right so give the people a little bit of your background in finance because you have a an approach to this and i and i want people to know why you sound so technical about it but just let the folks know a little bit about your background well first let me tell you just first personally I come from a very humble background. I was born in Queens, New York to working class Puerto Rican parents, uh, born out of wedlock. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not ashamed to say that, but I was raised by a single mom, worked my way through school, had to leave New York. Uh, my mother felt it necessary even back then to go uh, first to Puerto Rico and then to Atlanta, Georgia, a suburb of Atlanta, Georgia to raise me for better opportunities. And then I came back to New York and basically have spent here my professional life. Uh, once I got my, my degree in economics in school uh, at the university, I actually cold called my way uh, to a job at Solomon Brothers. Solomon Brothers is one of these old uh, investment banks as part of Citi now. And I started my career as an equity research analyst. Now, let me just clarify, an equity research analyst is not a super woke HR diversity consultant. <laughs> it's a financial analyst and our job is to analyze companies analyze industries uh, go deep dive um, find the efficiencies the profitability and then make a determination whether you should recommend investing in the shares of that company or not so i i that started basically a a career that culminated in almost 30 years first as an equity analyst for several years initially covering developed markets, then working in the emerging markets. And by emerging markets, I'm referring to places like Latin America, Eastern Europe, uh, Southeast Asia. So the markets that are considered sort of burgeoning, who then who tend to be very high risk, but potentially higher reward. Then I transition over to the credit analysis area uh, using the same tools, but now with a different focus. The focus wasn't should I invest money in those companies? Now the, the focus was, well, should I lend money to those companies? And again, working with companies in the US, Europe, Latin America, uh, and often in Asia as well. And then eventually becoming a corporate banker, uh, working primarily with US-based multinationals uh, in various sectors. Uh, first to do business with them here and in Latin America when I work for a Spanish bank but then when I worked for an Australian bank doing business with them in Asia Pacific. So that's been about 27, 28 years looking uh, various areas of finance, working with every type of client and constituency from an individual uh, at the private client, private banking level, uh, which I did that for a while as well, all the way to the CEOs and CFOs of multinational corporations like Dow Chemical, like Boeing, uh, General Dynamics, uh, DuPont, those type of names, because I, I covered some of those sectors. And then I was, uh, throughout then, again, covering many sectors like energy, aerospace and defense, food and beverage, 
everything from cyclicals to consumer. So I have so, a very so, broad. Oh, oh, back- let me jump. Let me jump out there. So it's safe to say, you know how to look at the books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, you know not specifically, the as an yeah. analyst, in fact, uh-huh. is to take what we get from auditors, from accountants. So look at the financial statements prepared by auditors. And my job was to pick them apart and go behind. So mm. it's a very different thing because auditors primarily want to make the left side and the right side balance. And they take a sampling and they just want to give you a picture of what the company should look like for reporting purposes. And sometimes they also exist to try to hide things or um, not hide, but let's say present them in the most favorable way uh, for management. Mm. But hmm. my job was hold up, to back up, back up. So part. is that jargony? Does that get real jargony when you have to walk into that meeting and basically BS someone? So you're losing money, and it's like, well, what we've done here is we've taken a look at our inflow, and as that inflow comes in, we've been able to balance that and offset that with the outflow of the input as it derives from the extra dynamic that is that does that like you have to come up with that there's that guy well no let me give you an example uh when i did my transition to the credit side i was working at the spanish bank the first sector they gave me to cover this was in 2005 was the auto sector Mm -hmm. so general motors ford delphi the auto parts uh trw because these were client of ours we had a few billion dollars in exposure to them uh, in credit mm. to them. So literally the second day after I started my job at that firm, we had a conference call with Delphi that basically the, the auto parts say, oh, listen, we need to restate our financials for the last five years because it turns out the way we presented them to you weren't isn't exactly correct. So that was my first foray. And then two weeks later, I was at the General Motors bank meeting uh, talking with Lyle Wagoner and, and these people, and they're trying to tell us how things how great things were going on at GM, uh, you know, not letting. And then, of course, several years later, five, 10 years later, less than that, they, they filed for bankruptcy and they had to be rescued uh, by the government. I think they filed for bankruptcy, but they all had to get rescued by the government. Yeah, big, big, but at that yeah. point, we had to basically go for was it a couple of billion, two and a half, three billion dollars of exposure just at our bank in credit mm-hmm. facilities to these companies worldwide and start bringing those down. And then, of course, when you tell a company that you're exiting their bank group, they basically, they stop being very forthcoming with you. They don't, they stop inviting you to meetings. They don't want to share <laughs> information so it makes your job harder. But that was my job. I had to go and look at these financials and kind of go behind it. And, 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 I, and like I remember when I took my formal credit training, uh, one of the things my, my uh, instructor said, if you remember nothing else about credit, you remember one word, inventory because it's in your inventory where companies often make most of their their little shenanigans in terms of inflating it deflating it mm. uh, doing things with it to uh you know to manipulate your numbers that you're reporting so so that that's that's kind of uh my background so i've looked not just at private corporations but i also uh looked at, at also public entities so i looked at universities at municipalities things Hold like that Hold sure. up, hold so up, hold up. I also have that background as well. So I got a question on this because you've got to, all right. So I, I, there are some like universities that are out there and they're like, uh, I, I don't know, they're like not, uh, there's some of them are accredited, but they do like certifications. And I walked my son into one of these. I ain't going to throw him under the bus. But it was like, like at the end of the day, the amount of money they were charging, but it, it was like a, 
we'll get you help you get the little government grant and something else, but you're going to come out of pocket. And so, I mean, how do you regulate what education costs and what people are able to produce? That's like a money guy. Like I'm I'm trying to figure out because education should be competitive, but you should be turning out a product, right? Like, so how do you do, how do you make that match at somebody who's looked under the books at school, like make education more competitive, you know, economically, I guess is the question. Well, I think part of what, um, you know, different studies that they've gone into this, but part of what's really inflated a lot of these these costs is once you got the government in and, and started guaranteeing student loans, and now they, the government wants to pay the student loans and started basically guaranteeing, you know, providing all these grants, but it was mostly the student loan market. If you as a university, uh, if, if, you'd re- if you don't really have to think, uh, really conceptualize and internalize how expensive a college is because it's all sort of a, a trade off. So the government is going to pay is going to pay it off, and then the students who end up graduating nowadays with a couple of hundred thousand dollars of debt. Because I, I remember when I was at Northwestern, uh, tuition was eighteen thousand a year. This was nineteen eighty seven, and that was pretty high back then. Mm. Now it's easily fifty to seventy five thousand a year at some of these schools, and you're getting uh, oftentimes. I, you know, I hate to to sound it say so bluntly, but sometimes fairly useless degrees, uh, or at least let's, let's be kind, let's say not very marketable degrees. But part of that is because of all that government subsidy. When you subsidize something, it doesn't necessarily make it affordable. It, it makes it easier to raise prices. And then the end user is, is conceptually less affected because they're thinking mm. the government is going to cover it. But guess what? Eventually, they have to pay back those loans. But now, if some of the people on the left get their way and some of these loans are forgiven in part or in whole uh, and the students don't have to pay it off like I did where I had to make (laughs) serious, um, you know, when I went to college, I was hoping to get a Naval ROTC scholarship. When I didn't get it, I had to think, okay, well, now I got to get some loans. I got to work a bit more. It's going to be more on me, not even so much even my mother, but more, more on me. So majors, I went from international relations to economics. So I thought it'd be a bit more marketable. I I um, I had to think about okay, I'm, I'm, how much am I getting student loans? Thankfully, uh, I didn't have to take as many as I would have. But it took me ten years to pay off those loans. And I remember that in the whole scheme of credit reporting, you can miss a, a month, or you can pay your credit card late one month or two. You may not get reported. You miss your student loan payment, or it used to be by one day, everybody found out and your credit score would, would drop. Now, you're telling young young kids, 22 mm. years old, in a, play, in, a, in a time right now where, where you have 11, 10%, 11% inflation, 9% inflation, where we're technically in a recession, but now the government has redefined what recession is. So to tell us that we're not really, they don't really think we're in a recession. These are the same people who told us that inflation was transitory. So they're coming into a market, uh, an economy that's declining, that's expected to get worse. And they're coming out with what, a couple of hundred thousand dollars, even in a state school, let's say 50 to a hundred thousand dollars in debt. And it's going to take them forever to pay that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's not sustainable and you're not helping students. And, and in fact, it's something you bring up because there was a recent report that the controller put out 
Uh, mm-hmm. One of the, the various uh, audits and analysis that he does, and he was, they were going after graduate students at, in, you know, in, in the SUNY system, in the State University of New York system, because it seems, I guess, there's some graduate students who may not technically be resident or in-state New Yorkers. Maybe they're out-of-staters, but they're getting charged tuition in-state. And I'm going, you know, it's bad. It, it, you should be thankful in part that you are attracting people from out of state to come to school here. And I'm not saying that it's it's right to game the system, but I think your focus should be more on how to facilitate more students coming to New York, especially at the graduate level, because those come here may actually even stay here, to come to New York to get the recognition, to invest in their career here, then trying to go after them and say, hey, you got all these people who should have been paying out-of-state tuition and instead were charging state tuition, and we really should go after them and, and punish them for that. Right. I, I think that's just a, a, a lack of, uh, you know, it, it's not the right priorities in my opinion. No, no, absolutely not. Real Ladies quick. Gentlemen. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I got you real quick at the 30-minute mark, actually 32, 33-minute mark. You hanging out on the Urban Conservative Podcast. It's a Monday night. We're talking about a red wave, more of the same. We're kicking it with Paul Rodriguez, who is running for New York State Comptroller. As always, jump on over to TUConservative.com. Get yourself a membership. Inflation is like at an all-time high, but it's still only 10 bucks. We're not going to start slinging our magnetic wallet, uh, can opener, flashlight, survival stick combos anytime soon. But you're going to be able to win one of those GOP looks like me hats, right? Tell them about that situation. Yeah, right definitely there. head over to TUConservative.com. Get yourself a membership. Do that. Also, pay attention to our social media. There's going to be a post that goes up. There's going to be a question in the post. You're going to answer the question. You answer the question correctly, you'll have one of them on the way to you. So make sure you're following us at the Urban Conservative on Instagram, at TU Conservative on Twitter, and uh, everywhere else you get, you know, you do your social media numbers, Truth Social, we everywhere, just look for us. Make sure to do that. And then quick reminder, ladies and gentlemen, again, I want to remind everybody, head over to the website, visit the U2A page. If you're in the Arnold area, if you're in the PA area, New Kensington, I don't care if you're even in Pittsburgh, Please make sure to check out the U2A page. We're doing responsible gun ownership and firearm safety training out in the city of Arnold. So make sure you plug in with the U2A page real quick. Um, it's a thing. That is what's going on, bro. Uh, I, I want to ask this question to Paul real quick, Ali. Uh-oh. I have this I have this philosophy. And, and I think, Ali, we've said it on this show plenty of times. Okay. Inflation is only created in one place, Washington, D.C. Is that an accurate statement? I believe so. Yes, it's because the inflation we're seeing is really the growth in the money supply, um, and the thing is, the federal government has just been printing money uh, like crazy. I think if you look right before the pandemic, and not to get to technical, but one of the measures of the money supply M one, which is the you know the amount of dollars out there, was somewhere around five, it was about five trillion dollars, uh, and between let's say March April of twenty twenty. To today, it grew to about twenty-one trillion dollars. So, if you go from five trillion to twenty-one trillion, you quadruple the money supply. Uh, it only makes sense that if there's so much more dollars circulating out there, that that's going to push everything up. It's going to inflate the price of everything. Um, and the problem is that the Fed, the Federal Reserve, has been keeping while in pumping the money supply and increasing inflation. They've tried to keep interest rates artificially low. 
So you have a situation where in, or, in order to kind of get inflation under control, you have to make saving more attractive than spending. Hmm. So the only way you're going to make saving more attractive than spending is to increase rates. Now, whether these rates are going to meet up here or whether somehow somewhere down in the middle around here, the point is that in order to get this under control, unless you're just resigned to living in an inflationary environment that's going to get worse, you're going to have to raise interest rates. And since our economy is so leveraged, mm-hmm. um, even uh, an increase in, let's say, rates from three to five or six percent may be unsustainable because the, the system is so leveraged that the increase in servicing the debt of, uh, uh, of the debt that we have outstanding by increasing those rates, by doubling them, not even going, frankly, from the 3% to the 11%, which is probably where we need to go, even just going from three to six or three to seven, could potentially collapse the system. So this is what we're facing right now. And now we have Janet Yellen, uh, Janet Yellen, <laughs> uh, Treasury Secretary, who at first and former Fed Chairman, who was telling us only a few months ago that inflation is transitory. Then she said, well, we were wrong, but now telling us, oh no, but we're not in a recession, even though technically speaking, Two quarters of negative growth, or you know, economic growth is supposed to be a recession. But um, I saw where now the government put out a little statement saying that even though this definition by some is a recession, we don't actually consider it to be a recession. So now we're redefining economic terms. This is what China, what Argentina does. Well, actually, I think China doesn't redefine; they just report whatever they want but this is the stuff that argentina places like argentina does as someone who worked in emerging markets we used to see see this so uh what i always say it's like uh you know once bitten twice (laughs) you know you know Mm -hmm. fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me you know i believed you when you told i didn't believe you but i'm sure some people believe when they said inflation was transitory and now we see it's not now you're trying to tell me we're not in a recession I think people will are, are going to come to realize this fairly soon. And that's why when you're talking about a red wave, I don't think it's so much an issue of a red wave as many in our, in our, in our ticket has said, and particularly Alison Esposito, our Lieutenant Governor candidate, likes to remind all the time. It's more of a common sense wave. Yeah. The question is, do my fellow New Yorkers have enough common sense to say this needs to stop? I know many of them do, but many of them also are sort of tuned out or they're so tribal in their view that they say, well, I'm going to vote for the Democrat, even though those are the very same people that have gotten you to the place where you are today and who are at the national level. If you're unhappy with the things they're doing about the national at the national level, do you think they're going to do any better at, at the local level? I tell people regarding, for example, my opponent, uh, my the incumbent and controller, I say he reminds me of this other somewhat affable uh, career politician Joe Biden. This is a gentleman who was in government for decades in Washington for four or five decades nearly. But he told us when he ran for president, if you just elect me four more years, I promise you that all of these problems that have eluded me for years that have not been able to solve somehow magically will resolve them now. Now, how, how good has that worked for the country? Is this the kind of gamble we want to take here in New York, with a controller that in the 15 plus years he's been in office, not only has it coincided with one of the worst waves of corruption we've seen in state government, not only has he brought his own personal politics to the management of the pension fund, 
by using it as his own sort of tool to push whatever political causes he has. He's basically, uh, you know, this is what he's brought in. And now what are we expected to believe? That even though in the 15 years he was controller, he didn't stand up to anyone. It coincided with three governors compromised, two of them having to resign, and a, um, a lieutenant governor who was indicted and had to resign. A new lieutenant governor who I don't know very much about, but if he was picked by Hakafi Hoko, who now we've seen how ethically challenged she appears to be. Uh, we used wow. to think, uh, Andrew. We used to think Andrew Cuomo was bad. This woman, I think, is taking it to another level. Either that, or she was a star pupil. Uh, wow. Is this what we want? Four more years of because Kathy Hochul, in the in the little bit of time she's been in office, which has been, I think, at this point less less than a year. Uh, it was very interesting, you know, when Jose Alba, and I don't know if you know the story of Jose Alba, the bodega yeah. uh, worker who had to defend himself from an attack and ended up stabbing his attacker and was uh, was sent to jail. And Kathy Hochul was saying, well, there's nothing I can do. I can't talk to Alvin Bragg, the district attorney from Manhattan, because, hey, that's the local thing. However, around the same time, a donor, a major donor to Kathy Hochul got a liquor license denied. And very quickly after that, that denial was reversed. And in all of the emails back and forth, her chief of fundraising was copied in all of them. And somehow that was able to get resolved very quickly. And then just last week, it was uh, it was a, a story came out that a company that got a contract uh, pr- uh, valued at about over 630, almost 640 million dollars, one company, 640. $40 million for COVID testing, uh, that that the, the recipients of that contract, that family who had never donated to Kathy Hochul, someone magically donated over about $300,000 to her that year. So they, I think there was one person who donated from that family before. But that year, that person and multiple members of his family maxed out on donations to her in the in the neighborhood of $300,000 and magically got this no bid $630, $640 million contract. So this is what we're seeing now. Uh, you need a true watchdog, not only someone who understands really digging down and looking, reading between the lines and going behind the numbers and being able to pick things apart, but who will have the courage to stand up to those in government because the attorney general and controller's office are supposed to be independent regulatory people. They're, they're not supposed to be so much beholden to either party. And I think Michael Henry, our attorney general candidate, and I are, are of that ilk. I don't care if it's Lee Zeldin. I don't care who's in that governor's office. I will make sure to safeguard the taxpayers' money. And I will use that great bully pulpit that the controller has where they can exert influence, again, over a half a trillion dollars of the taxpayers' money. Mm-hmm. Use that bully pulpit. If you can't, if you don't have, let's say, the capability of obviously passing a budget because you're the controller, you don't pass the budget, you can't cut tax yourself, but you have a very large bully pulpit, a very large voice and position to be able to advocate for so many things in government. But if mm-hmm. you're the type of basically just smiles, talk a lot about, uh, social issues and like to virtual signal about different things and end up going to a lot of social events, uh, you know, you're ineffective. There's a reason why the incumbent Tom Napoli 
I guess, was chosen from the three candidates when Alan Hevesy, his predecessor, went to jail for bribery, in pay-to-play bribery. Wow. There were three people, uh, you know, initially really? the controller was appointed before the, the electoral uh, cycle came. So three people interviewed for it. Tom DiNapoli was at the bottom of the list, and yet magically hmm. he was the one chosen. You know, may, it might have had something to do with the fact that in the 20 years before controller that he was in the state assembly, he was considered to be an enabler to Shelly Silver, who, for those of you in North Carolina who don't know, Shelly Silver was the speaker of the state assembly here in New York, who actually went to jail again for bribery and corruption. And this is a gentleman that on the books, he used to report over a million dollars of income a year. That was what he reported on the books legitimately. So imagine how much he was actually making off the books. Uh, Uh So, and this is what you have. So you have a person four decades in government who's known as very, being very nice. Everybody likes him, but he doesn't stick his neck out too far. He doesn't rock the boat. And that's exactly how they like it. But New York cannot afford that anymore. Well, not that we ever could. We right. need a true watchdog. Right. Yeah, I don't think the country can afford people that that don't that are uh, ethically challenged. Right. I I don't think we can afford any more ethically challenged people because at this point, I'm gonna be honest with you, Paul. I don't understand how anyone with any intelligence at all can be a Democrat or even make a legitimate argument in favor of the policies. I mean, listen, if if we had moderate 80s, 70s Democrats, fine. But this is not what we have, right? This is, I mean, we have people here that are making decisions that are clearly in the long term bad financially. And I'm no financial expert, right? But I mean, have you seen any good financial decisions in the last in the last 10 years? Since they're the kicking the can down the road. I mean, right. that's what, and when I came here last year for the city controller, it's the same idea. They're kicking the can down the road. The city controller, Brad Lander, is becoming the protege of the state controller. Uh, they're playing off the same uh, playbook. Mm. Uh, they really focus more on advancing social issues or woke, uh, little, little woke uh, issues than really even financial or figuring out how you're going to attract business how you're going to streamline government, how you're really going to root out corruption. Um, Let me tell you a perfect example. This is the kind of thing that warrants a press release from the controller's office. Uh, About a month ago, he puts out a big press release that we are proud to announce that we caught this local county clerk has been uh, indicted or prosecuted for basically padding her hours. What was she doing? I'm not saying this is right, but she was padding her hours so that she could so that she could get at least 25 hours a week so that she could qualify for a vacation. So over the span of seven years, she padded her hours and gained about an additional eleven thousand dollars in compensation. Eleven thousand dollars over seven years. Let me do the math for you. That it works out to about one hundred and thirty one dollars of additional compensation in the way of vacation and benefits per month, $131. Again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Uh, That means that that, that there's anything uh, wrong with going after those things. But I think we need to prioritize and we need to put things into perspective. This gentleman, our state controller, can exert influence or has to be able to investigate or manage 
220 billion of a budget, 280 billion with a B of a pension plan, a half a trillion dollars. And he puts out a huge press release about his work with the state police over catching a local county clerk who padded her hours so she could qualify for vacation and got an additional $131 a month over seven years. That's Where are our priorities is all I have to say. No, that's all There's nothing bad. wrong with going after those things. But can you like maybe, you know, let, you know, uh, raise your goals or do that, <laughs> but also do the big stuff. How about, uh, you know, look at, look at this $637 million contract. Let's look about the contract for the new Buffalo Bill Stadium. Yeah, let me ask you a question. How how much does does New York State? What percentage of New York State budget goes towards education? Like, is education a big piece of that budget? Um, not a substantial. If you really look at the breakdown, it's interesting. Most of the you look at the revenue and the spending. Well, most of the revenue that comes in is not even from taxpayers itself. Right now, it's from the federal government. So mm. that's actually a larger portion than the actual tax from you were getting, which is in, insane considering how much we're paying taxes to begin with. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of what goes out, a lot of it is Medicaid. That's a big mm. chunk. Of it. Uh, so education is definitely up there. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what the what the exact percentage is, but it's definitely up there. But mm. keep in mind, um, in terms of the two areas, uh, the well, actually the first two or three areas that I would look to audit, um, one is the Department of Education, and also that was one of my priorities at uh, at the city level as well. But the other one is, believe it or not, the controller's office. And I'm not saying this to be ah, glib or to awesome, be funny ah. uh, or just because it sounds like it's a soundbite. But as I'm uh, as I'm going through this, and and obviously when we did my research and looking back at history, um, it, it I was reminded that a, a few years ago, an individual named Nav Noor Khan who Tom DiNapoli and his staff hired to be the head of portfolio manager of portfolio management, excuse me, and fixed income for the New York state pension plan uh, within two or three years after he was hired, ended up himself being indicted for and going to jail eventually for pay to play bribery because he ended up getting about a hundred thousand dollars in gifts, in cash gifts, stripper dances, watches, drugs, etc. So, and in return, he steered about a, about one to two billion dollars worth of business to two separate brokerage firms. Now, mind you, if you say that this happened when Tom DiNapoli first became uh, controller, maybe you could say, okay, well, cut him some slack. He just got there, hadn't had a chance. Right, right, this happened right. after he had been in office like seven, eight years. They hired Corn wow. Ferry one of the largest recruiters in the country, if not the world. They supposedly, uh, you know, they brought all, they went through all of this, paid these big consultants. Even then they did a very poor job at vetting. And then it turns out that internally, they don't have the same type of controls uh, because after they did an internal investigation, they found out that they didn't have the same type of internal controls and say like an uh, a bank or an investment bank might have, where if you want to if you want to do a trade, you want to buy or sell something, you have to get it cleared, things like that. A lot of the times these trades were happening. No one was knowing. There was no oversight. There was no compliance. Or if there was, it was lax. So I'm talking if this gentleman, who, again, very nice, big smile, but if he can't even keep his own house clean, 
How do we expect them to keep clean the state of New York, especially right. at the precarious time that we have? So that's why I say, and I'm not trying to be glib, but one of the areas that I would seek to audit externally, bring someone external, is the, the controller's office. Because if my own house isn't clean, how am I going to take care of the Department of Education? How am I going to look at Medicaid? How am I going to look at all these other things? Um, right. Right. If anyway, you, don't, you don't really yeah, have the yeah. excuse that you don't know what you're doing anymore, because at this point, if you've been in office over 15 years and by the time the election comes around, it'll be nearly 16 years. You should really know what you're doing. You shouldn't be coasting at this point. Right. Well, one thing and I've said this as I've traveled across North Carolina and we've talked to people across the country is whether your party is not the point. Right. If you're in a failing situation and you've been in office for more than 10 years, you have to own that failure. So, ladies and gentlemen, especially people in the cities, people in the urban areas, make sure you understand how important what these folks are running for, what this means and and how that impacts your day to day life, especially in these urban communities. Um, ladies and gentlemen, right around the 50 minute mark, we're talking Ali, with Paul Rodriguez. Yeah. Yo, if we have the 50 minute mark. You know, it's time for the lightning round. bro. That's what you. I'm saying. Brought to you by are your friends, pesky conservatives who keep telling you about God, family and country. Do you want them to be more like you and more liberal? Introducing brand new Libtraw, helping to erase a conservative mind near you. Now in extra strength. Well, Regenerate right, for your sponsorship. We appreciate that, man. You know it. Listen, let me open my notes here. So, Paul, product. this is your third time on the show. And uh, we got a lightning round. We don't, we're not going to do one word association. You've done that already. Um, but this is where the, the, the folks are going to get to know a little bit more about you. Because we talk a lot about the, the policy stuff. We talk campaign. We talk numbers and money and stuff. But we feel like candidates need to know you as a person you know what i mean so we got a couple of we're gonna ask you some questions right right. and um we're gonna start here all right what's a better movie 1987 wall street or wolf of wall street oh definitely wolf well i i really i just watched wolf of wall street again so uh they're two great movies and i think i'll i'm partial to wolf of wall street okay who is a better rich character, Scrooge McDuck or Burns from The Simpsons? Uh, let's say Scrooge McDuck. Okay. Nike or Adidas? Oh, well, Nike when I was older, Adidas when I was younger. You know, I was in a <laughs> breakdancing thing. I was in a, believe it or not, I was in a breakdance crew when I was 15 and I was pretty good. So okay. I was more of this guy back then. Okay, so you, know, you should you should you should challenge your incumbent to a breakdance contest. I'll, I'll keep charity. Also, maybe that'll be better for him. Now. Do it for oh, charity. Okay. <laughs> All right, so now that leads to my next question: Beach Street or what's the other one? Crush Groove. Crush Groove. Uh, I said, uh, big street, the king of the beat. I see you walking that beat from across the street. I'm an 80s guy. I can't tell you. I'm an okay, okay. okay. This is why we're asking these questions. People need to know these. All right. Ballpark, Nathan's, or Hebrew National hot dogs? Oh, well, I'm in Brooklyn. I have to say Nathan's. Although Hebrew National is good, too, but I have to say Nathan's. Okay. Told you, bro. Told you. I, I, I we had this conversation the other day, Paul, and I told him, I was like, no, Hebrew National is not a bad hot dog if, it, if you like hot dogs. All right. Yeah, I, I know, think but Hebrew National, do they even have retailers? I think it's just, you know, supermarket. Yeah. 
Yeah, but yeah. I think you only eat he. I think you get the Hebrew National once you got a couple dollars, because those yeah. are not the cheap ones. You gotta have a couple bucks for the Hebrew Nationals. Yeah, All right, cheese, cheese steak or chopped cheese. Cheese steak or chopped cheese? Mm-hmm. Cheese steak, I would say. Okay, hot or cold? Uh, hot or uh, hot or cold? Uh, what exactly? Just that either hot one, or hot or cold. Yeah, I would probably. I'd rather be cold, which is uh, strange. People say it because I'm from Puerto Rico. They think I like the heat. No, put me in air conditioning. People I, don't realize real Puerto Ricans want to be in air conditioning. They don't want to be. In heat. All right, mm. save or spend. Spend probably. I know it's bad, but only <laughs> only on a personal level, not at the government. Okay, no. Listen, this is all this is about you. Fast or slow. Oh, it depends what I'm talking. I'd, I'd say slow. All right. Crunchy peanut butter or smooth peanut butter? Ooh, I love crunchy, but I don't really eat that much of it anymore. All right. Shout uh, out uh, to David Hensley on this, the crunchy peanut butter. He had a, a crunchy peanut butter excursion. All right, I'll leave. Right? You know, my doesn't let me have as much of it because it's got more calories, cholesterol. So I'd say what you, what you got, crunchy Ali? peanut butter. All right. So fa- favorite Hispanic or Latino comedian? George Lopez or Paul Rodriguez? Oh, the the, the you know what I'm talking about the other the Rodriguez. Yeah, no, actually, I would tell you frankly, John Leguizamo. <laughs> Whoa! Whoa. Whoa. I, I don't love this. Oh, no, great! That, I, that, I love him. That's love a clap worthy answer. That's a that's a yeah. All right, so I have to tell y'all, I I love comedy as y'all know, but I can't do some of these woke comedians. I try not to let their politics get in the way, but sometimes <laughs> they just say unre. It's like phenomenally stupid. That you'd be like, you're the genius who wrote this joke and you don't get this. Ah, but anyway, go ahead, Ali. Well, I think right. after uh, I think the last one that I saw of his, which was the the Latin history for for adults or whatever it was called, that first of all, me being a student of history wasn't that accurate, and it was just woke, you know, wokeness. And I missed the old Leguizamo, especially '90s or even the, the 2000s, you know, with you know Spikarama and that kind of stuff, or. Uh, um, Sexaholics, that kind of stuff. But uh, I gotta tell you, Leguizamo. But I, I respect his talent, if not his politics. But right. listen, I, I Leguizamo was the guy who made it all right. I he made it acceptable for me to see guys perform in dress in girl clothes. Mm-hmm. When he he did like the Hispanic female thing, he nailed yeah. it. I I understand. He was the guy that made me go, oh, I understand. It's art. Got it. I, I mean, I'm still not cool with it, but it's art. Okay. Cool. All right, what else you got? Well, he was Ali? playing characters. Oh, okay. He wasn't even like, uh, you know, uh, he was, uh, you know, he he was just uh, particularly one of those early shows from the '90s. He was just playing different characters from his old neighborhood. So. Yeah, yeah. And one of them be like, I don't know, like a prostitute. Or something. I think I'm gonna watch that tonight after the show. It, it resonated. It resonated. Record. What that's, you that's got, Ali? What you got? What you got? All right, all right. So look, man, you made it through the lightning round. You know what it is. You get the screen full screen for a second to tell the folks how they can support you. What you got coming up? The floor is yours, brother Paul. Well, thank you again uh, for your time and consideration. I love coming with you guys. Uh, if you see on the screen, Rodriguez4ny.com, that's a shortened version of my website. If you could please go there, check it out, have a, a summary of my platform. You can find out about a bit more about me personally in terms of my background, uh, personally and professionally, if you want to volunteer. Um, I have to. I would be remiss if I didn't say, if you could uh, provide financial support in any way, if you'd like to give a donation. As I mentioned, the controller's race, even though it's very important, 
it's often very difficult to either get press or to raise money for because it's not the sexy race like like the governor's race or sometimes even like the attorney general's race. So any support you can give, financial, volunteer, word of mouth, please. I hope that you will share this video, retweet it, put it on Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. Um, and if you want to, you know, you can send me an email if you want to contact me. Uh, please, uh, I want to hear from you. I want to hear your concerns. And I just want to thank you for your time. I want to ask for your support. At the end of the day, this is all in your hands. The future of the state of New York is in your hands. And what you do from now until November 8th is going to determine whether we get back to a path of prosperity, integrity, or whether we'll continue being the laughing stock of the country or one of the worst places to do business in, one of the worst places to live in, at least financially, at least in terms of public safety, at least in terms of cost of living. And people will continue leaving. And mind you, it's not the weather, because in addition to Florida and Texas, a lot of people are going to South Dakota as well, because they have much taxpayer and business-friendly policies there. So we can make this state even better and get it back to its empire state glory days but we need your help and we need your votes and we need to turn it around that's there's there's no very sense of butter about it it's uh as lee zeldin says our, our gubernatorial candidate losing is not an option we have Absolutely. to we have to turn it around all right ladies well, and gentlemen you, we've paul. been we kicking it with you. paul oh go ahead bro right, you got go it ahead, Ali. No, okay. I was, well, I was gonna thank you, thank you, and uh, and again, thanks for coming out to the Hamptons to our GOP looks like me event. Um, everybody, you know, out here, we got your back, we support you. You have our full endorsement here from the Urban Conservative, um, folks. We want you to get out, support. You don't have to be from New York to contribute to the race. All of our New York, all of our Suffolk County folks, please visit the website that you see on your screen. Make sure to help them out. We need people on phones. We need people with, you know, walking. We need people that are willing to canvas with them. We need all the support we can get, not only for Paul, but for Lee and for everyone else that wants to support. Um, again, we're looking to have more candidates on the platform. But, Brother Paul, shouts out to you. Shouts out to your lovely family. Um, we appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for coming on the platform once again. We're eternally grateful for you spending this hour with us. We hope to have you back on again. Um, as usual, my brother, we appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, don't miss the show. We will be here Monday night, 8 p.m. next week for another episode of the Urban Conservative Podcast. No, before, you, before you jump out, son, before you... Where did Paul go? Where did he go? Oh, I, uh, oh snap. What happened? There you go. I don't know. Yeah. He was giving a shout out. There you go. Oh, Can no, I do no. one last thing? Yes. Be and this for Raheem, because uh, I will be out in your area uh, on Thursday this week uh, at the clubhouse uh, in East Hampton, New York. It's with... Uh, the East Hampton Town Republican Committee, July Summer Cocktails. I'll be there. Allison Esposito, Lieutenant Governor candidate, will be there. And I believe also Michael Henry, our uh, Attorney General candidate, as well as several other of the local candidates uh, for, for State Senate, for Congress, will be there. Yes, you know, yes, yes. Uh, Nick Lalata for Congress will be there, for example. So please come out if you're in the neighborhood. Uh, Shouts out to Manny Villar, Mr. Chairman. Shouts out to you. And we'll make sure, check the Urban Conservative. We'll be promoting that event as well. I'm glad you mentioned that one. But I'll see you Thursday night, Brother Paul. I'll be in the building. We'll be there covering media, doing our media thing, of course. So we will see you. Uh, yeah, we'll see you Thursday night, Brother. Appreciate you. Well, outstanding. And thank you again for your time. I 
Uh, I, I'm happy to come back anytime. I love it. Uh, and I think we have some really good conversations. And plus, you know, you indulge me, allow me to share my thoughts. So I Absolutely. That's what we're here for, Brother Paul. Thanks yes, for coming sir. on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What was you going to say, Ali, before we go? Well, we out of here. We nah, good? We cool? Nah, we done? We, we, done? We, we, we good? We good. Ladies and gentlemen, get out tomorrow in Greensboro, in Charlotte, wherever you have local elections. Get out tomorrow and vote. Shouts out to Sarah Reedy Jones and the whole entire Mecklenburg County Republican Party. They have been hitting it hard. Big up to Kyle and all of the candidates that are running for municipal office out in Charlotte, Mecklenburg. And remember, Greensboro, get out. Vote Katie Rasabi tomorrow. There's a writing candidate, Chris Meadows, that's running for mayor up there in Greensboro. It's time for common sense for a change up in Greensboro. Ladies and gentlemen, please. Make sure you get out and vote. For my twin brother, Raheem Architect Soto, I am Abdul Ali. This has been another Monday night on the Urban Conservative Podcast. Next Monday night, we'll see you right back here, y'all. Stay tuned on social media.